this morning we are kicking off a new sermon series entitled Sticks and Stones. And of course, I am sure that everybody here has heard that little that little diddly that sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? That's right. That's right. And we also know that that is not true. Isn't that right? Because the words that speak, that people speak uh, over our lives, they speak to us. They have the power to either wound us or those words can also bring life and healing. And so this is going to be a great sermon series. I'm really excited about it because I believe if we can dig down into these truths, it's going to have the power to really transform our relationships, which and really, you know, when you think about the gospel, and the truth of what Jesus came to do, it really is, just at our most basic level, it is about our relationships. So to kick the series off, I want to go ahead right now and give you what the big idea is for the next four weeks. So we actually, we've got two big ideas. So if Joseph, I could have my first scripture up there, and you've got this in your bulletins. It says that the tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring death or life. And so big idea number one, and we're going to be talking about this for the next four weeks. So go ahead. If you want to memorize this, if you want to, you know, just write it down, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. But is that the words that we say have the power to bring life or those words have the power to bring death? They have the ability to bring life to someone's heart, words of encouragement, words of praise. You know how children just flop, uh, blossom and they, and they really thrive when there's, when there's positive words being spoken spoken over their life. Uh, you know, when you are, at a, you know, if you're working for somebody and your boss comes in and he says, hey, great job. I really appreciated how you fill in the blank. I mean, that can just lift your soul. It can lift your spirit. Uh, words of, of saying, hey, I see that gift that you bring to the table every day. That brings life. We also know that words can wound us so deeply. I think about the cyberbullying that is just, you know, you're hearing a lot about that and how wounding those words can be by people who are being bullied. Uh, even children have, have committed suicide and just how it just is so harmful when people speak words that bring death to our hearts. So the tongue and the words that we say, the words that have been said to us, have the power to bring life or death to our lives. The other one in the second scripture up here, this comes from Luke, and Luke tells us, is out of the gospel of Luke, he says, what you say flows from what's in your heart. What you say, the words that come out of your mouth, flow from what is in your heart. So the other big idea in this sermon series is you and I do not have a mouth problem. We have a heart problem. We do not have a mouth problem. We have a heart problem. I often say that I wouldn't have to guard my mouth so much if I would do a better job of guarding my heart. So as we talk about criticism, as we talk about lying, as we talk about words of encouragement, as we talk about rash and angry words and these things that can help or hurt our relationships, we're also going to be digging down under the surface to say, but where does that come from? Why, why do I do this? And how does God feel about this? And what are some things that God gives us in his word to help us to be those people that bring life and health and healing uh, through the words that we speak. All right, so to kick us off today, we are talking about telling the truth and telling lies. So how many how many of you out there are parents? Got any, got any moms and dads out there, grandparents? Okay, anything. All right, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had one of your children lie to you? 
Just go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Is there any parent out there and your child is over the age of two and you have not had one of your children lie to you? All hands are down. All right. Watch this. Let's see if Joseph can pull this video up. See if you're a mom or dad. You can relate to this. Hey, Jack. Did, did you eat a cupcake? No. You didn't eat a cupcake? No, I wasn't at home. You sure you didn't eat a cupcake? No. Hmm. I thought you maybe had a cupcake. No. No? No. Definitely not? No. Not like in the last couple minutes? No. No cupcake for Jack? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, moms and dads, have any of y'all had that experience? So do you know that people who study child development say that this is a good thing when children begin to lie to us between the ages of two and three because they say that it marks that their cognitive development is on track. <laughs> so it, it means that they can begin to piece things together. So I don't know about that, but I know that I have had that so many times. Uh, I mean, a funny, well, it, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny when it happened, but I remember when one of our girls, uh, let's see, any of my kids here today, I think one was going to come, but she's not here. All right, so I can talk about her. Anyway, so one of my kids uh, was in middle school, and we had had, you know, I'd let her have some friends over, some girlfriends over to spend the night, and so they all were, you know, playing, they might have been baking cookies and probably watching Disney movies, you know, just sweet little middle school girls. Mark and I said goodnight. We lived in a two-story house at the time. We went upstairs, shut the door so we couldn't hear them. They're downstairs playing in the den. All is great. We get up the next morning. We do pancakes. And, you know, I just think I'm a good mom. You know, I'm, I'm letting all the little girls come to my house. Well, what I did not know and found out later was my, my other daughter, snitched on her sister. And she said, yeah, she said, this past Friday night, you and dad were sound asleep. She said, what you don't know is many of the little neighborhood middle school boys also came over to the house. And, uh, and she said, yeah. And I said, no. And she said, oh yeah, mom, I walked through the den. And she named one of the kids who has now turned into a very fine adult. But anyway, she said, yeah, I walked into the den and so-and-so was dancing on the couch. <laughs> So, so of course, you know, good parents, I'm mortified. Uh, but anyway, so Mark and I pulled a uh, daughter, who I won't say her name aside, you know, the following day. And I remember we were sitting on the front steps of the house. She'd been out playing in the yard and we said, hey, we need to have a little talk with you. And said, uh, you know, your sister told us about you letting the, the boys come over. Uh, you know, you, you can't do that anymore. And y'all, I kid you not, she looked at me and she said, what? She said, we didn't do that. I don't know why my sister would say that. She goes, Mama, we didn't, Daddy, we didn't do that. I would never. And I mean, y'all, I started doubting the, the daughter that had been the snitch who had no reason to snitch. But anyway, but so we like, okay, well, we're sorry. We guess we're, we're misinformed. And she runs off in place. And Mark and I looked at each other and we said, if she's lying, we are in so much trouble. <laughs> Because she was just starting adolescence. But anyway, you know, maybe you have been that teenager who told a lie, or maybe you have done it at work. Uh, maybe you uh, did, you know, you are intending to do something, but you haven't quite done it yet. And your boss comes in and says, Hey, have you done such and such? And you said, Yeah, I've, I've done that, knowing that you really hadn't, but you're going to get to it just as soon as they walk out of the office. Or maybe it's the little white lies that you tell.
now. Now this one, I just want to say, when I get to heaven and talk to Jesus, I'm going to say, Jesus, I really think this is an okay lie. But when your wife asks you if she looks fat in those pants, men, the answer is always, no, you are beautiful. That is the truth in your mind. It is the truth. But anyway, that might be the one that we get to get away with. But we've all told those little white lies, and, and, and people tell us that research this stuff, that the average person every day tells at least four lies. So anyway, it is, it is a common issue that as humanity that we experience. But let me ask you this. Have you ever been on the other side, though, of, of someone not being honest and truthful with you? It might have been a spouse. It might have been a child. It might have been a friend. Let me ask you this. What did that do to your relationship with that person? What did it do? Trust was broken. Trust was broken. And that's kind of what we're digging in today is, is what is the impact of the truth and the lies that we tell and how does this impact our relationship? The story that we're looking at in the Bible today comes from the book of Acts. And so I, I want to set this up. It comes from Acts 5. And I, I don't have that in your bulletin, but if you want to write that down, it comes from Acts 5. But I want to set it up for you. So last week was Easter. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead. Uh, the book of Acts and Luke and different writers tell us that Jesus, uh, with many convincing proofs, asked for the resurrection. He met with over 400 people. Uh, you know, we knew he, he demonstrated to everyone that he was alive, those disciples. So then we have what's called the ascension. He goes back to heaven to be with God, and he gives his disciples a, a, a commission, a, a mission, and he says, I want you to go into all the world, preach the good news, and and I want you to teach people to obey everything that I have commanded. I want you to go and make disciples. And so the book of Acts picks up, and you see the early the early church doing this. You see Peter, he goes out and he preaches. 3,000 people get saved on that first day. Uh, a couple of chapters over, it says that they're continuing to do miracles there in Jerusalem. Uh, God, is, God is just... Uh, pouring out his Holy Spirit. You're seeing all kinds of things happen. And the next chapter, it says that 5,000 more were in the church. So you see this explosion of growth. Uh, you also see some persecution. But one of the characteristics that you see in the early church, and it kind of, you know, Luke is writing this and he kind of drops these things in. And he said, one of the things that was unique about the early church was that if anyone had a financial need, that the body, the believers, the brothers and sisters were helping meet those needs. And many were doing things like if they had land and if they had property, if they had assets, they would sell those and they would bring the money to the, the apostles, to Peter and James and John, the leaders of the church, so that they could help those who were less fortunate. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to model and live out what Jesus had demonstrated to them. So in the book of there, in, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, we read about a man named Barnabas and it says that he had sold some land and gave it to the apostles and all is going great. Then you get to Acts chapter 5, and there's this story that just doesn't fit. It doesn't, it's like you're moving along, all's going great, you know, revival's breaking out, it, needs are being met, and then all of a sudden, there is this almost a shocking story, and, and I find it even a difficult story to even figure out what's underneath it. But in this story, there is a husband and wife, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and they sell some land. And so they come, and they bring the proceeds of this land to, to the apostles there. And this is, uh, you know, you've been watching this happen all through the book. 
But here's what the husband does. He says, this is how much I sold this property for, and I'm giving you 100% of the proceeds of this land to give to the poor. But what he has done is he has held back a portion. So he is not being honest and truthful. And so basically they ask him, are you sure? This is Fran's translation. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm being honest and truthful with you. But he wasn't. And it says then that immediately he fell down dead. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that, that is shocking. And so if you're reading the book of Acts, let's just imagine you're for the first time and you get to that, you go, whoa, that was a pretty severe consequence for just not telling the truth. So then it says three hours later, his wife comes in and they, and basically she's, she's, they've, you know, they've figured out their stories and she's telling the same thing and, and they give her a chance or, are you sure this is a hundred percent of the proceeds that you're given to the, it's almost like your kids, you know, when you know they've done something wrong and you're giving them the chance, you know, but they're going to tell a lie. Well, anyway, so his wife says, oh no, a hundred percent of what we sell this land for, we are giving to you to help the poor. And they say, well, basically, we know you're lying. And she dies immediately. And it just kind of is this, oh, story. It's like, Lord, why did you do that? And that seems really, really harsh. And then the story just picks on up. Like, it just goes on. And it really doesn't help us unpack, like, why did you do that, God? And as I've thought about it, and I've heard, I've heard people preach about this, and I've heard people talk about the holiness of God and, and just different things. But the thing that I came to as I thought about that scripture, I thought, you know, the new, the church was being formed. There's this new community of believers. And one of the things that I think God places a very high value on is us being honest and authentic with one another. Because when we are dishonest with one another, when we aren't truthful, I believe it breaks our connection. It breaks our oneness. It breaks our community. Uh, people who, who you know, work with couples that do marriage counseling, one of the things that is so detrimental um, in a marriage is when there is not honesty and truthfulness. Mark and I have been, um, this past year, we read a book together. It was called His Needs, Her Needs. And so just, you know, something, we, we read the chapters and we did the, you know, the questions and things, and we did it as a couple just to strengthen our marriage. But there's a whole chapter in here on the importance of honesty in your relationships and, and just how this is the, the bedrock and the foundation. And one of the things that surprised me in this book um, is that he talked about affairs and he he talked about, obviously, that is one of the deepest pains and, and um, one of the, the, I guess, the sense of betrayal and, 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 and the breaking of your covenant with one another, uh, just the wound that goes so deep. But he said, as he has worked with couples, he said he has seen couples come through it, you know, that they can go on and rebuild their marriage and rebuild their lives together. And he said what he's observed in years of working with couples is that it wasn't the affair um, that was the hardest to get over. It was the lies and the deception and the cover-up 
over a period of time that 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 was what was the it was that betrayal and that sense of of um, of just the lies and not the honesty. I, just before this service started, I was talking to um, Lindsay Mode, and we, we were talking about marriage and babies and all those kind of things. And I said, I said, you know, I said one of the hardest years uh, that Mark and I had in our marriage was after our third child was born. And I said it wasn't so much the pressure of having three kids. I mean, there was all that. I said, but I think what all that pressure did was it kind of brought to the surface, um, kind of a, a I don't know if it's a crack in our marriage or a flaw or what you would really call it. But Mark and I hadn't really learned how to be honest with one another yet. We were still at that point where we were still being polite. You know, I mean, of course, I mean, we might bicker about this and that, but but we were still like if something bothered us, we would both go, okay, well, I'm just not going to let that bother me. And we would sweep it under the rug or, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to move on. I'm not really, we, we were good at dancing around what was really going on. But the problem was the dishonesty was not working and we just kept shoving things under the rug and shoving things under the rug. But then one day, that stuff under the rug, it is so bad, you just got to pull it back and you got to work through it all. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to us, though it was hard because we said, you know, we've got to be honest with one another. We've got to be honest about how we're feeling. We, we've got to quit putting up the walls and, and be doing the whole pretentious thing. And so I think that's what Paul was, or, or Luke, when he told this story, was if we want to have authentic community, uh, trust and honesty has to be the bedrock because if we're going to rely on one another, if we're going to make commitments to one another, if we're going to do this together, we've got to be able to trust each other and once that trust is broken, it is just so hard to put it back together. So I think that's one of the things. I want us to look at, at your bulletins there. I've got a couple of other scriptures there that I think are helpful. And the first one that I have there is also just what does the Lord think about lying? What does he, is this one of those things that we kind of get to go wink, wink, nod, nod. It's like God doesn't really matter. I mean, I will be honest the other day, uh, somebody... <laughs> Well, this is going on the internet. I might not be able to say this, but anyway, let me just say I did lie the other day to protect somebody's feelings, and I and I and I said, you know, when I get to heaven, if 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 Jesus asks me and says, "Friend, I, I saw that you told a lie," I'm just saying, I'm sorry. Let me take my punishment, but it really was going to protect this person's feelings. So I don't know. Maybe there are some lies that are like God does the wink, wink, nod, nod. But but I think that His Word tells us though what His His heart is, and He tells us there in Proverbs, he says that the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in all of those who tell the truth. He detested lying lips, but he, he delights in those that tell the truth. Uh, it's interesting to me, in the book of Revelation, and this is kind of hard and sobering, but when he talks about those who are not going to be able to be in the kingdom of God, those who are not, those who are going to be outside of, of eternity, spending it with God, he talks about the murderers, and he talks about, you know, the, the idolaters, but, but he he puts in there the liars. 
And I've often wondered, it's like, why is that such a big deal? And again, I think the heart of it we see there is that New Testament church was forming, is that being vulnerable and truthful and honest with one another, where, you know, kind of the masks are off. You can, you can look at my browser history. You know, you can have my password to my phone. You can, I'm, I'm not putting up walls and pretending to be something that I'm not, because that's the bedrock of our relationships is trust and commitment. And, and in that, um, Ephesians 4, I think also Paul gives us some insight here, and I'll, I'll kind of just jump into this. Ephesians, uh, there's a church in Ephesus, and uh, the Apostle Paul is going around the Mediterranean basin. He's starting churches, and this is a letter that he has written to this church here in Ephesus. And I'm just going to read it to you, and then we're going to unpack it. Uh, but Paul is writing, and he says, Since you have heard about Jesus, and you have learned the truth that comes from him, so, so he's saying, I have, you, you've heard about Jesus. You've heard about God's Son who came, He lived, He died, He rose from the dead. Uh, you've heard about salvation. You believe it. And He says, now here's what I want to remind you to do. Throw off the old sinful nature and your formal way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And then He says, instead, by the Spirit, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. And then He says, and put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And then he tells us how we put on this new nature. And he says, stop telling lies. Stop telling lies. It is a big deal in God's economy. And he says, let us tell our neighbors the truth. And then right here, and if you've got your pen, you might want to circle this, because I think this is just, this is it. He says, for we are all parts of of the same body. We are all parts of the same body. And so when you are in community, so whether that is a marriage relationship and you've made a covenant with one another, whether that's in a family relationship, whether that's in a friend group, uh, whether that is in a church relationship, a small group, a work group, we are parts of the same team. We're parts of the same group, parts of the same family, parts of the same church. And when we are not truthful in the words that we say, and we have a little white lie here and a little white lie there, it, it, it breaks that community. And right there, I think if you go back up to verse 24, Paul tells us to put on our new nature that we are created to be like God. I think that we are the most like God when we are walking in integrity and honesty with one another. And I'm not talking about a, an integrity and an honesty that hurts other people's hearts, but I'm talking about not trying to cover up and lie and pretend to be something that you're not. It's when, no, I this relationship is safe enough that you can see me. I can be vulnerable. I can be true. And when I mess up and when I screw up, I'm not going to try to cover it up and pretend like it. And when something bothers me, I'm not going to pretend like it and put up this veneer, but I want to be authentic. And, and, and I want you to be able to see me just as I want to be able to see you. And when we do that, to me, that's, that's the garden of Eden relationships that we get to have. You know, in the book of Genesis, and I think this is just such a beautiful picture. It talks about how that God created, this is before sin and Adam and Eve are in the garden of Eden. And he says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. And I've always felt like that that means that, that it was a place where they didn't have to cover up because they were ashamed of who they are. But they could, they could just pull back the curtain and say, here's who I am. 
And I think the danger and the reason this is such a hard issue and the reason we cover up and the reason that we kind of lie a little bit here and a little bit there is I wonder if at the heart of it, we wonder if you really see who I am, if you really truly see me for who I am, will you still love me? Will you still want to be in a relationship with me? Because it feels a lot safer to throw up the mask. And maybe there's some things that you're hiding that you know are really harmful to the relationship. And let me say, stop. Get rid of it. Get away with it. Uh, because our relationships, I mean, that's all we've got in this world is the love that we have for one another and how we do this life together. But that's what Paul was saying there. He said, I want you to reflect God's glory. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to point people to Jesus. And we are the most like Him when we are honest and truthful and we have integrity in our relationships. It's interesting, um, John, the gospel writer, when he's talking about Satan, and he says, you know, he is the father of lies. He is the one. And so when we are whitewashing it and we're not telling the truth, we are being more reflective of, of Satan than we are of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that so much. One of the things, um, you know, Mark and I, and I've mentioned this before, sometimes we'll do premarital counseling with couples. And, uh, and one of the things that I've had couples ask me before about their finances, they'll say, well, do you recommend that we put all of our money together, you know, and just have one checking account? Or do you recommend separate checking accounts? Or do you recommend, you know, in just different scenarios? And I said, here's the thing. I said, I've, I've walked alongside a lot of couples that, that have healthy relationships. And, uh, and I said, they do their finances a variety of ways. And I said, but the kids of death is when there is secrecy and lies about your finances. When there's a hidden credit card, when there's a hidden bank account, when there's not truthfulness about what you've spent or what you haven't spent. I said anything when there's secrecy and lies, it is always the kiss of death in our relationships. I think this is why this is such a big deal. I think that the heart of the issue, the words coming out of our mouth might be a lie, but the heart says, I don't trust you or I'm not happy with the decisions that I'm making. I know they're wrong, but there's something that you're throwing up that creates that barrier with the other person. So what about us? What about you today? One of the things that I know too, because I know that Satan is a liar, is that I wonder if he has lied to you about yourself. I wonder if not has a neighbor or a friend or a family member lied to you, but I wonder if Satan has lied to you. You know, when he tells you you're not good enough, you're not, you're not, um, you're not doing enough at the church, you're not righteous enough, you're a failure, you're not pretty enough, you're not whatever it is, you'll never make it. Uh, God, God doesn't love you as much as he loves somebody else. And so sometimes we have to say, oh my gosh, that is a lie and I'm not going to listen to it. Because the truth is, is that you are loved by God. You are, especially for women, I think sometimes we, we look in the mirror and we don't measure up, but you are beautiful just the way God created you. Men, sometimes you think, you know, I have, maybe I haven't succeeded enough in my profession or my career, and there's this, there's this desire to, you know, to kind of have it all together. But God says you are enough just the way you are. I think that's the beautiful, beautiful message. And then I think sometimes we are not truthful and honest in our relationships, and it might be that we need to repent, that we need to say, hey, you know, I am sorry. 
And then for some of you, I wonder if your hearts have been wounded because someone lied to you and that that connection and that relationship. And, and it might even have been someone that you looked up to. It might have been someone who's in the church in a leadership role. And you just saw the, the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, incongru- the when there wasn't congruency between the words that they said and their actions. And there was this hypocrisy and it was like, oh, man, I just, it's really hard to, to be in community in a church because of the, of the hypocrisy that I've seen. And so for that, I want to say I'm sorry, and I hate that your heart got hurt. But it's my hope that you can look at the one who is truth, who is love, and know that God can never lie. Hebrews tells us that. He said, the Lord, it's like, it's not just that he doesn't. But he can't, he won't, but he's a God of truth and a God of love. Imagine if we truly lived into that in our relationships, in our home, at work, in our marriages here. Uh, If we lived into that truthfully, how we could become a reflection of his glory.